start where you are and look at what is my biggest hurdle right now. And is it income? Is it debt? Is it how I speak to money? Is it retirement? Is it investment? Is it my partner? Is it how I, my friendships and being able to shine brightly, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Where, where's your sticking point and decide on an action step there. This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 296. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am delighted for this week's episode for two reasons. The first reason is that we are back with a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people, some of my favorite, and I know that those are some of your favorites as well. And the guest that I brought on, the unqualified person that is joining us this week is none other than my very best friend in the world, Amy Smith. I am the luckiest. I really am. First, to be a 44-year-old woman with a best friend. I know that for many of us, we get to midlife and there are so many things that have our priority, right? We have, we might be um, mothers and have children. We might have extended family that we're taking care of, our jobs, our pets, so many things vying for our attention, not to mention we're supposed to be taking care of ourselves and exercising and eating right and doing all these things that make our life so great. And friendship can be one of those things that just is last on the list. Our story goes way back, and I'll leave that for another time. But I know many of you listen to Amy's podcast over at The Joy Junkie. She does that with her beloved husband, whom she calls Mr. Smith, who's also a good friend of mine. And she's just amazing. And I know that you will love her if this is your first time hearing her. And even if it's not your first time, she's just always so fun to have on as a guest. We're talking about money this week. And as you'll hear in this episode, again, I could have had this conversation with so many of my friends and it might have looked very different. You know, everyone's experience is different when it comes to money. We all have different stories. We all are in different, you know, income brackets and things like that. So our stories vary. Our circumstances might be different, but so many of us really struggle in the same areas when it comes to the emotions around money. I know you heard a coaching episode uh, a few weeks ago around money specifically, and I wanted to bring Amy on because, and, and I'll say this, when she and I started talking about this, I thought to myself, oh crap, this isn't necessarily a completely unqualified people conversation because she and I both have been doing work specifically on money for a handful of years. She started her specific money journey a little bit before I did, and she's really the one who kind of influenced me and really gave me pause to think, oh, wow, maybe I also have a lot of my own money issues and can work on this. And the thing is, is that both she and I are people that own our own businesses, but it doesn't matter. It really is for anyone who has accumulated a lot of debt, who lives in the scarcity mindset of always feeling like, 
oh my God, there's never enough. It's for anyone who uses shopping to numb yourself. You know, I'm raising my hand over here. I've come a long way, but still every once in a while, I feel like all my problems can be solved on Amazon or Zappos or Nordstrom.com or going walking into an anthropology. Why do they make it so beautiful in there? Why? It makes me want to stay for so long and look at all the pretty trinkets and things that they have that I don't really need. Oh, look, I need these $9 knobs to go on my cabinet. No, 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 no. Anyway, I digress. I just love this conversation and I love having it with people. I love understanding and hearing about people's money stories. So I hope that this is hugely eye-opening for you and helpful. We do give a lot of tips and and tools that we have used along the way that have been helpful for us, as well as our own experiences with doing the work. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my unqualified person, Amy Smith on money. What's up? I'm super unqualified. (laughs) Well, as I've mentioned before, you are qualified in other areas, but this one... Maybe, maybe you are. I would say that you're about 60% qualified, actually. Okay. Thanks. That's a compliment. <laughs> so like enough. <laughs> well, it's like a D minus. <laughs> Not an F, a D minus. And I, you know, it's, it, I could have had this conversation with, with any of my friends, but I think that, no offense. <laughs> yeah. Super none taken. I wanted you on because you and I have had, I've had the most conversations about this with you. And I think that I've watched, I've been on the same journey from the beginning with you. And I remember conversations that we had a long time ago about this. And so that's why I wanted to bring you on. So thanks for coming on about this. I know there's been some topics on the conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people where you're like, nope, not going to touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think the whole uh, unqualified person piece is a great disclaimer because it's very anecdotal. It's not, I can't say, oh, I'm a financial advisor and I've read all of this, all of this materials. And, but I do think that there's something to be said for surmounting obstacles too. Yeah. Well, let's start from the beginning. And I don't think it's, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by me saying the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because money, I feel like, is one of the most charged conversations, <laughs> topics. For sure. And I feel like if I was having this conversation with my husband or any person who identifies as a man, it would be a very different conversation. But since the vast majority of my audience is women, I will say that women, I, f- feel like have a unique, you know, perspective around their money hangups. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it can probably go both ways. I'm sure that there are a lot of kind of stereotypical, I need to provide situations for men that they probably still feel as antiquated as that is. But I think one of the things that's really prevailing with women is the, and this was very much my story as well, is the, I'm not smart enough to manage money. I can't figure out investments. I don't, oh, I'll leave that to the man. Yeah. And I mean, that was definitely something that I had to work through substantially. I don't know. It was 
were you like that with Jay? Like you just take care of it. I guess let's back up a second and talk about, I I think what the thing that has helped you and I the most around this topic is uncovering our quote unquote money story. And if you read any book on, you know, some people call it helping your money blocks or uncovering your emotional hangups around money. Like they will tell you to start with your money story. And that was mine. For me, it was, I know that you have a specific one where you pinpointed it right away. And that was the case with most of my friends and colleagues. They were like, oh yeah, this is what my parents said about rich people and wealth. This is what I always heard about money growing up. Here's how much money we had. And here was the conversation around money in my family. And for those people listening, like that's basically what it is. Like, what did your parents, how did your parents talk about money? How, you know, how was it approached at home? What did they say about wealthy people, poor people, et cetera? And I didn't really have one. It was just, it was a non-topic growing up. And then I was always like, how could this be? How could there really be nothing there? So for a few years, while while all of you were working on it, I was like, "Eh, I don't have a money story. (laughs) Yeah. But eventually I did figure it out just to answer your question. And I'd I'd love to have you tell your money story. I figured out that completely I had been, I don't know if I want to say victim, but just the whole conditioning and socialization that, yes, it was a man's job to take care of the money, even though my mom worked full time. But it was just, and also that a man will bail you out also, you know, like I definitely had that, I need somebody to ride up on his white horse and- save me mentality with money. I was never taught at all how to manage money, that I was, that I could be good at money, that I could be in charge of my money, et cetera. So that's just like a piece of my money story. But yours, yours is super interesting. Well, you know what, what's interesting, just hearing you talk about your money story and feeling like you didn't have one, I think in and of itself, that was the entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. It was, And we've talked about that a lot. Like just, it's always there. Anything I ask for, I can have it. And so, you know, and you can certainly elaborate on that too, you know, getting into your adult years feeling like, no, I deserve to have what I want to have, even if the finances weren't there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just to, just to jump in. It wasn't that dramatic. I was not, we were not wealthy at all. And I don't think I ever even asked for a whole lot, but it I don't ever remember asking for something and being told we can't afford it. Maybe they did say that, but it wasn't a theme in my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for everybody listening too, when we talk about your money story, it's basically if you could think about money being a separate entity, what sort of relationship did you have with it? And for for us growing up, it was it, it was definitely not an ally. It wasn't something, it it was something that we were kind of always fighting against. My parents were, were missionaries and they, I think together made about $30,000 my entire youth, my entire growing up time. Mm -hmm. And they, we were very acutely aware that money was tight and and also there was this additional level of, because they were in missions work, 
they got their paycheck from supporters, people who gave to their ministry. So they would say routinely, we got a short paycheck, which meant not enough people donated to their cause. So uh, there were a bunch of different layers with that, you know, feeling like a charity case, people would leave, you know, bags of clothing on our front porch. Cause they knew, you know, like we never went and bought new clothes, like ever, 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 everything was always hand-me-downs. And I mean, very few and far between did we buy things that were new. And we had even one time I was in high school and my parents asked some friends of ours there, my, my really good friend, Kelly, they asked her parents if they would be supporters. And I was so mortified. Like I felt like such a charity case. Plus I, I went to a Christian school. I went to a private school my whole upbringing. We were always on scholarships or grants or, you know, things like that. And so we were with uh, amongst, I say we, myself and my younger brothers were amongst very affluent kids who, you know, even back in the nineties, it had like car cell phones, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. fucking Zach Morris style. <laughs> and, and I'm like, can you leave your old clothes on my porch, please? And, you know, I, I distinctly remember one time asking my mom if she could pick me up some mousse. It was like suave mousse for mm-hmm. like $1.89. And she said, I, I don't think we have the money for it right now. Yeah. So, so that sort of just kind of encapsulates my experience with money. They tried very briefly to show us budgeting, like give us $5 a week. And we had to tithe. Of course, we had to give some to the Lord's work. And then we were supposed to have savings and spending. And that was very short lived. So I think they had ideas about how to teach us about money, but I saw my dad always paying the bills, always, you know, bouncing back and forth between two different checkbooks. And my mom, you know, I mean, they were just very, candid all the time. Like, well, that's coming from the grocery money fund, or we don't have money for that. And, and even, even little things that I ended up kind of nurturing later on in my life, like, you know, how you could get outside of a a supermarket, you could go like do a 25 cent ride on like Mm -hmm. a little pony or something, or you could get stickers for 25 cents. My parents always said, my dad would always say, we don't need to spend money on that. We don't need to spend money on that. And it was really interesting because when I started looking at the congruency between where I was in my adult life, and this really unfolded for me largely in 2014, I started looking back at some of these messages and that we don't need to spend money on that had completely influenced my subconscious because in my business, and you, you've definitely seen me through this hiring assistants or having somebody, you know, do a website or all of the various things that we outsource in our business. I said, I don't need to spend money on that. Yeah. I don't, you were, I can do you that were DIY or die to it, to a detriment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it arrested my growth tremendously. And it's one thing when I'm interviewed ever, like, what would you do differently? And I say all the time, I would have hired help earlier. I would have hired a mentor earlier. And that was coming from that story of, I can do it myself. We don't need to spend money on that. And bootstrapping, uh, really to a fault. My husband has shared a lot that one of his stories was, and this is a very common one, that money makes you evil or makes you bad, or you become miserly and abusive and Mm -hmm. awful. And I never had that. I think my 
my, my parents did kind of, I remember my mom would say stuff like, oh, well, they've just got buku bucks. And I'm like, what's buku bucks? But she would say it in a derogatory way from jealousy. I mean, that's really what it sounded like to me. Like, oh, well, they've got a lot of money. And so I didn't interpret it as they were bad. I interpreted it as my mom was jealous. And my biggest hangup, I think the biggest challenge that I had to work through and bless your heart, Andrea, you've heard me talk about this for years before I got my shit together on it was the management of it. And I was really terrified of taxes, of organizing money. I felt like if it got too big, then it would, it would become out of my control. And I I really think it had to do with control stuff, perfectionism stuff and feeling like, uh, no, if it's a small amount, I know how to operate that. And I don't think it was until even we started doing major collaborations, you, me, and Kira, where we would have like $40,000, $50,000 in an account from a, for a retreat, mm-hmm. you know, for retreat money. And I started realizing, oh, you manage that amount of money just same way you manage a thousand dollars. It just has and an I, extra zero or two on the end of it. Right. I thought I thought you had to call in special forces. <laughs> I, I thought you had to like have a banker. Yeah. I just made up all this hyperbolic story that there was some sort of difference. And I kind of went, Oh, and that's you were paying all the hard costs just for, for context. Like we would get like 40 or $50,000 and then you had to pay the hotel, like all these hard costs involved in running something like that. These retreats. That's exactly right. Yeah. That was not profit. Well, and that's the thing too. I remember talking about this with my coach at the time and she, I was talking about, you know, the management of it. And she was like, would you rather somebody else manage it? And I was like, fuck no. I'm not, and that was when I realized. In other words, I don't trust Andrea or Kira. Exactly. (laughs) She was like, do you want Andrea or Kira to do it? And I was like, no. But that's when I realized, I'm like, not only can I do this, I am astute at this. I'm Mm -hmm. amazing at it. And so I think that's kind of a testament to the thing that you fear the most, you have to really conquer it. And I had to really work on investments and understanding that. I had to work on uh, understanding taxes and different entities as a business. And, and it was all those things that I feared that I thought were, I couldn't do that. And then I went, what am I talking about? I'm one of the most detail oriented spreadsheet addicted. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I talking about? So, so yeah, that's a, that's a a snippet of, of our process. What was Uh, your, what was your first, was it that book, um, secrets of the millionaire? What was your first sort of introduction to this work? Remind me. Well, the first introduction was <laughs> in 2014, my husband had a severe oh, yeah. accident to his arm. It kind of one of those, like, <laughs> what did we, videos. what did we call 2014 for you? We had I a name. I remember it was the, it was definitely a shit show. Yeah. Uh, I think we, it was just, we just called it like the year of, I don't remember, but it, it, that was quite a year for you. That is still, it's worse even than when my father passed, like, 2014 put us through the ringer. So if you ever see those videos on YouTube, like horrible crashes where someone's arm like snaps in half and comes out, that's a situation Mr. Smith had. It was egregious and he's a body worker. So it meant his life, our livelihood was very much threatened. And at the time he, he was certainly the breadwinner. 
So my, what I realized in that moment was our solution at the time, like, what are we going to do? My solution was let's get more debt. Let's Uh just go get a personal line of credit and have that cover our bills. And my solution was never, my instinct was never, let's make more money. Let's get resourceful. Let's sell shit. Let's start an eBay store. You know, how can I diversify my products? None of that came into my mind. It was immediately, let's go get credit. Yeah. Credit, credit, credit. Which I'm going to jump in with a little a little anecdote because yeah. when you and I first met in 2009, oh, I remember Jesus. us sitting in the training that we were at. We were assisting with the Coaches Trading Institute. I don't remember how we got on the topic, but you were talking. I don't think that you had been in your condo for that long. And you had talked about how you were decorating it and everything. And you had you know, put, I think a lot of it on credit cards and you made just an offhanded comment and you're like, yeah, we have a lot of debt, but I kind of figure like she who dies with the most debt still dies. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, and I wasn't judging in any way. I just was like, that's an interesting perspective. It was, I wasn't thinking positively or negatively about it, but I knew in that moment that you just didn't give a shit how much debt you had. And, and then after realizing, like doing the work through it, and I'll talk about that in a second, that's when I realized I had a massive love affair with debt, not money. Mm-hmm. Like I was mad at money. I was always telling money, you're not enough. You're not enough. Why are you not enough? Which in any relationship wouldn't work. But then at the same time, I was romancing the fuck out of debt going like, Hey debt here, let's accumulate. Let's hang out. But yeah, that was a mantra I had for the longest time. It was she who dies with no debt still dies. Mm-hmm. She who dies with lots of debt still dies. So what the fuck? Why not just rack it up? And, and yeah, and that was a really detrimental place for me to be in. So 2014 happened. We, so, and at the time we had, we had already accumulated, I think like $60,000 worth of debt. We had almost paid that all down. We then took out, we accumulated 40,000 more in debt so that we could also pay off the, the, initial part of it. So we weren't so that we could still stay on task with our original debt payment. It it was more debt to pay for more debt. It was just ridiculous. So at that point we had amassed a hundred K in debt and that was not including your mortgage. No, that's not cars. That's not mortgage. What's it? What do they call it? It's consumer consumer debt. debt. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and we weren't superfluous. It wasn't like I had crazy handbags, you know, but we would, you know, if we wanted to go away on the weekend, we would, or, you know, if we wanted to decorate, we would, or things like that. And it was just allowing it to, uh, you know, accumulate and accumulate, accumulate. And at the same time, I remember, I think we were all in a, a mastermind together. And one of our girlfriends, Kate had suggested the book secrets of the millionaire mind by T. Har Becker. And they, he asks you to, to kind of contend with your relationship with money. And one of them is the, from your primary caregivers, what were the messages that you received as a youth? And that's when I realized that, oh my God, here I am saying I can do it myself. I can do it myself with everything. And then also understanding that's really when it illuminated this romance with debt that I was, I was really fostering a relationship in the wrong direction And that's when, that was really the impetus for both of us to get our shit really dialed in. And I think we've been on a really solid trajectory since then. We, we paid off all of our debt. We've been debt free for quite, quite some time now. And, um, we just started adopting some very specific principles and we can get into that later, but 
But I think what's really important to underline is you have to start looking at the lens through which you view money now. And for most of us, it was crafted at a really young Mm -hmm. age. So, I mean, so that's sort of how it unfolded for me. I'm really curious for you to share a little bit more about what you uncovered about your money story too. I think it started around the same time as yours, you know, watching you guys go through what you did. Well, let me, let me back up. And so I was thinking about when you were telling your story about your childhood, I was thinking about mine and, you know, we grew up middle class, like, you know, working class slash middle class. My parents both worked in retail, um, for Vons and my dad was like middle manager. My mom worked in, it was called GM general merchandise, like where all the toothpaste and tampons are and stuff. I remember like going and helping our stock shelves. So it was, it was, it was a modest living, but they, from what I understand and what my mom has told me, they didn't use credit cards a whole lot. And that was mostly, well, it was, it was both of them, but I always saw my dad sitting down to pay the bills, but my mom would also, you know, this was back in the days of checkbooks. Like she would always pay for groceries. And so they both were involved, but bills definitely were my dad's job. And I remember being in eighth grade and getting to go on a ski trip. So we lived in San Diego and it was a ski trip to Brian Head, Utah. So we took a bus and that was a really big deal because that was something like not all the kids could, um, could do. And it was right around that time that my dad had quit his job for Vons and gone to work for Um, He was a real estate agent. And this was back mid-late 80s. So the real estate market was doing really well in Southern California. So looking back, that was obviously a time where my parents had started to make more money. They upgraded their cars. And we moved to a newer development. I grew up in in a a small suburb in San Diego called Rancho Penasquitos. So we moved into a bigger house in a gated community that was newer in Carmel Mountain Ranch, which, you know, to all accounts, like we upgraded and it was fairly obvious to me. And, you know, I got to go on the ski trip. I, my mom had an RX-7, like it was, it was kind of obvious. And I wouldn't say like, there were definitely kids in high school that had more money than us. And I would go to their houses and see their way bigger houses. And there were friends that I had and they lived in custom homes And so I definitely could see the sort of hierarchy of wealth, but also knew that we had upgraded. So that was probably like eighth, ninth grade. And then as soon as I graduated from high school, my mom announced that she was leaving my dad and that everything fucking fell apart. My dad announces that he's going to rehab uh, for to get sober, to which I had, I was blindsided by this whole thing. So Looking back, you know, when I started to look, I actually, this uncovered in 2015 when I was at Soul Camp. I was a speaker and I went to this workshop with Kathleen Booker, who's been, I went to two workshops that particular day that serendipitously were incredibly helpful. You know, in 2014, watching you go through your whole money thing and watching you make these huge, just so much self-awareness with your own money stuff. And, you know, and, and Jason and I, I brought in 
I don't remember how much exactly I brought in and then he had debt too when we got married. But I sat down when me when he and I moved in 2011 and I was fine I was like I have got to sit down cuz I wasn't even looking at our credit card statements. Like when they would yeah. come, I just would pay the minimum payment, but sort of in the back of my mind knowing that if we don't get a handle on this, we're going to be paying this for like 20 years mm-hmm. and pay like three or four times as much as we actually spent. Right. And it was, I brought in debt from when my life fell apart in 2006. I numbed out with so many things, including shopping. I had a lot of like, I had a Nordstrom card. I had a Banana Republic card. I had uh, just so many. <laughs> and it's what I did to, I didn't, I didn't want to tell myself no. And yeah. so, um, just and it, I was a lot of that was just to numb out to 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 buy things to feel good for like a moment. So I walk into this marriage with debt. He had some debt, um, and then I sat down to look at how much it was, and it was sixty thousand dollars in consumer debt. And so we used the same company that you use, Take Charge America, and paid it all off in. Um, I think it took us five years, and that's when I really. I mean, and that was even before I started looking at my emotional story around money. But that that to me was just like, we have two little kids, we have all this debt, and I want, I knew if I wanted a better life, i.e. I wanted to buy a house somewhere, you know, we had left San Diego because we wanted a lower cost of living, we wanted a home with land, we knew what we wanted, but I'm like, if we're going to be carrying all this debt on our backs, it is going to be so much harder. So for me, that was more just like logistics, like and it was also emotional, but I didn't know it yet. So anyway, I go to this, I go to this, this workshop. It's at Soul Camp. Natalie Berthold, she's been a guest on the podcast too. We'll put these links in the show notes. She did a family constellation therapy workshop, which like completely blew my mind. I had like a spiritual experience during it. Realized that my money story, I have a few of them, but my biggest money story was that if a family upgrades and makes more money than they're used to, that equates to the disintegration of that family. Right. So I had embodied and unconsciously made up a story. It even gives me goosebumps just to, to still tell it that we are unsafe if we make more money, especially me, because I'm in control of it. So I had, I had plateaued, you know, being an entrepreneur, one of the benefits is that there's some downsides, trust me, but one of the benefits is that you can work to be as successful as you want and, and make more money. And I had capped out for like three years and I was like, this doesn't really make any sense. And that was what it was. And so then after that, Kathleen Booker had this breathing workshop and my whole left side of my body was like trembling uncontrollably. It was so weird. It was so weird. But I do think that that was the story, like exiting my body and just, and not that it was like magically done after that. I still had to go home and do a lot of work on it, but it was incredibly helpful for me to uncover that. And then I worked on the story of, I am safe if we make more money. I am, I, that's what I just kept telling myself. That was my mantra. Like we are safe if we have more money. Yeah. And I remember telling Kate Courageous, our friend, that I remember messaging her one time. We were talking about money and we we're talking about making more money. And I told her, listen, all I want to do is make enough money where I can pay my bills, where we don't have any debt, where we can take a nice vacation every year. And that's it. 
And so again, <laughs> I was putting a cap on myself and she pointed it out. Yeah. And she was like, okay. And what if, you know, and that's where coaching comes in and, and a hazard of having friends like you and Kate. And, yep. and that's why I think that this is one of those things where we're unqualified because yes, we have come, we've made some leaps and bounds in it and there's still always more to do. So, you know, and, and debt is one of those things, same, you know, t- debt was always a solution for me and I always ignored it and was just like, yeah. I don't even want to, I don't even want to know. Like that's, that's a lot of times how I am. That's from a story from my family of origin. Like, let's just pretend that like it's not happening and maybe right. it'll just go away. <laughs> right. Cause that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that you even bring that up because, you know, if we talk about this idea of money actually being a relationship, so think of it as though it was a child or a relative or a best friend and you were ignoring it like that, Uh that's, that's straight up neglect. I mean, when we talk about abuse, types of abuse are neglect, right? And verbal abuse. And when I would start looking at my situation, I had massive neglect where I didn't, I hadn't set up goals for what I wanted to attain in my business. As far as, you know, like benchmarks, there were, I had completely neglected it when it came to taxes. That was a huge issue for me. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to see it. You, how you're talking about, it. I didn't want to look at the debt and really acknowledge what I've accumulated. And then the other piece is the verbal abuse that we all, I think can relate to. And that's the, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough. And if we think about that in context with any other relationship, if you told a child, you're not enough, if you tell your partner, you're not enough, is that attractive or repelling? It's incredibly repelling. And when we talk about the idea of energy and money, just genuine, I mean, everything's energy. It's not like this unique situation that money's energy, but it is, it's, it is a piece of an energetic uh, exchange. And so if we are energetically saying you are not enough and also blaming money for your circumstance, like I'm not, I can't have these things because of money. We're also repelling it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a scientific standpoint, those, that energy doesn't go, Ooh, that's attractive. Let's go over there. It goes, Ooh, stay away from, stay away from that piece of energy. She doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. And that, that was a huge thing that shifted for me in, in sort of the, what I do about it now is I try, I really started, and I can't remember where I saw this or heard this. It it might've even been in that book, but I started viewing my circumstances as different than my money. So what I mean by that is, you know, if I had a medical bill that came up, I would allow myself to be upset about the medical situation. I wasn't excited that I had to go through this, you know, surgery or this procedure, but I was grateful to my money for taking care of it, for coming through. Even things, you know, now where I send money for ch- for taxes, I will write or talk to my money like, "Thank you so much for keeping me out of jail." And I'm so sorry we have to send you to that shit show over there in Washington, but I'm so grateful for you going on our behalf. Let's hope that you go to infrastructure and Mm -hmm. public housing and, you know, or whatever it is. But I talk to it like that. Like, I don't like the situation of paying taxes, but I sure as fuck am grateful to my money 
that it's keeping me out of jail, that it's taking care of it. So I think that was a huge epiphany for me too, in, in how, how I live now and how I view money now. Yeah. You've, you've always been, been really good about that. One of the things just, I, you know, I, I love talking about how emotional money is and and it's interesting. I talked to our financial advisor. He's been with us for, for many years and he, he thinks it's interesting. He's like, you're one of my only clients who's mentioned how emotional money is. And, um, I'm like, well, have we met? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, one of the things that was really helpful for me was how I viewed money and my own income in comparison mm. to people that I care about. Because I also, and this is still, I'll be totally honest, this is still a hang up that I have to work on present day is that, um, and you know what, the second time I listened to The Big Leap, he talks about this and I didn't, um, as one of like the core beliefs that we have that can sabotage our success is that I was immensely worried about leaving people behind. And what's Mm -hmm. interesting about this is that no one in my life, and I know that there might be people listening who legit people in their life has said, have said things like, Oh, don't you think you're big time now? Or, Oh, it must be so nice to make that much money or to be able to pay for that Disney vacation or, or whatever. I don't remember anyone Ever maybe some people have along the way, but I have been so worried about. I just don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Is the thing, and I've had that a lot with you. Is that because I, my just personality wise, I jump. You know, I've always yep. been. I've always been that way. And then it's interesting when you do the exact same profession with your best friend. And there's always going to be that element of like, oh, well, she's doing this and I'm not, you know, she's doing this and that type of thing. And I, I've been vastly uncomfortable. You know, it's like, I remember thinking like, well, I can't write a second book because Amy hasn't written her first one yet. (laughs) (laughs) Shit like that. Like I can't be a speaker up on stages because that's what Amy loves to do the most. And just, I wanted to, I want to, I want to make everyone else comfortable. I want to make room for everyone else. And I certainly don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be way out in front. And, um, and quite honestly, like that's who I am and was meant to be just like bigness and, uh, finances too. I'm like, I don't want to be the one who makes the most money. Well, I know you've even talked about that with regards to your mom and sister too. Yeah. You know, I don't want, it's that whole dimming your light, you know, dimming your light so that, that other people feel more comfortable. And even, you know, what I think is so interesting that what you just said too, is it's your perceived idea. Right. Because those two people are like proud of me, like bigger than shit proud of me, like (laughs) front row cheering me on, which doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, but I, I think it's so, this is what we talk. This is what we mean when we say unpack your money shit. So it sounds really kind of nebulous and like, wait, what, what do you mean? This is what we're talking about. Figuring out what your beliefs are, figuring out what your hangups are, Mm -hmm. what your sticking points are, you know, and I, I, I've always yourself. Right. And one of the ways that's actually shown up in our relationship is both of us saying, here's what I need to celebrate. Yeah. And 
And, and I, I have the same thing, not around money, but around my marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, and being like, I have, I, I feel sometimes like, Oh, I, I need to dim how amazing Mr. Smith is, you know, and I don't want to, cause he's just, just this unicorn of a partner, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and so there's, you know, I feel the same way of, I don't want to shine too brightly there. But I think, again, these are those conversations that we need to have with our best friends. Mm -hmm. We need to say, hey, listen, I've noticed this thing about myself. Can you help make my job a little easier? And so that's something that I've been very uh, cognizant of is I don't want to ever do anything that would influence you to want to dim that light since that's already the tendency. So saying stuff like you better fucking celebrate that book. You better scream about it. You are, are you doing something celebratory? Are you doing it? And holding visions like right now we're both holding a vision for her third book deal and stuff like that, where it's, you know, I know that I can contribute to your belief process, knowing what your triggers are. And that Mm -hmm. takes a really vulnerable friendship to be able to express that and say, you know, here, here's where I'm still stuck. Please don't, please tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you feel like, where are your, do you still have any money hangups that you're working on? I mean, I know you do, but I'm, I'm not actually sure what they are. Ooh, that's a, that's a great question. You know what I think is really interesting. And I've seen this happen. You know how you were saying that you had a sort of a plateau for quite a few years. I feel like I'm in a little bit of that right now where I'm so pumped <laughs> like where I got. And, you know, you and I, I remember having conversations where almost every time we would message, mes- message each other, we were afraid about a launch. We were worried about how we were going to make ends meet. We were, you know, and then for the last handful of years, it's been just not an issue. Mm-hmm. It's been more so, Oh my God, I want to invest $25,000 in this program, or I want to invest 11 K in this program. Oh my gosh, am I really going to do it? But it, the, the, the types of problems changed. And I think my plateau has been the biggest obstacle right now. And one of our mentors, uh, talks about it being, I think it's Gina, isn't Gina Gabellini, the one who talks about it being your wealth, wealth set point. Yeah. I think it's a common lesson, um, just okay. in personal development. Yeah. But she does talk about it. And I think, I, I think T Harbecker might talk about it as well, where you just get you know, really comfortable. comfortable. And so for the longest time I had a specific point and it was struggle. And then I overcame a lot of that. Denise Duffield Thomas talks about this a lot too, like where you, you get, she calls them a lot money blocks, like you were saying earlier, but we, you know, now I'm in this place where I'm like, just so grateful to not be hurting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and just kind of relishing and enjoying the place. And I, I don't mean to sound I hope that's encouraging and not arrogant, but now I'm like, okay, I can feel myself being comfortable. And, you know, I do have to acknowledge that I've had some pretty severe health stuff happen over the last 10 months. And so my priorities really did need to shift into taking care of my health versus, versus other stuff. But I think that's probably the biggest thing right now, but, but that's the other thing with personal development that I think, you know, we don't always realize is we think we will just be fixed, we'll be cured. And we don't realize that it's an ongoing process. 
and you get to an, a new level and it's a new double, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's a new, it's a new block or it's a new belief that you have to uncover. So yeah. What about you? Mostly that one just of, of feeling like that I, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I don't want to leave people behind. And also I would categorize groups of people. So there would be the colleagues and friends that I that I knew who I knew made like X amount of money, which was maybe twice as much as I made. And I would think to myself, I would definitely metaphorically like put them in a different room. You know, like I like you, but you're definitely over there. I'm way over here. And that was another way to keep me safe because to be a part of that category would mean that I would have to shed old beliefs that, you know, the one I just talked about, it would mean that I would, I would also make up a story. I have an old story too, that making money is hard. I think that just comes from old (laughs) messaging, like making money is hard. And also some beliefs around women and wealth and that, you know, nice girls, nice girls aren't rich. Mm. That was a big one that I had. Nice girls aren't rich. And also like, I didn't know any women who were philanthropists. I don't accept like Mother Teresa. Like I didn't have any role models of, you know, my mom, I saw my mom write a check to the church every Sunday and that was about it. And and I remember how much it was every week and sometimes it was more. I don't know why that it was more sometimes, but I didn't have any role models of that. The only people that I saw in the media were women who were, I mean, even look at like the show absolutely fabulous. One of my favorite shows. Like they were a fucking train wreck. <laughs> I don't Wealthy, think I ever saw that. Drunk, hilarious, only cared about fashion and who they knew and like expensive champagne. I mean, like those are the types of things that like I didn't know anyone who made a lot of money and also gave a lot of it away. And what's interesting is I always used to say when people start talking about the lottery, by the way, never bought a lottery ticket in my life. I'm not a gambler. Uh, it's just not something I'm, I don't judge people who do, but I just not something I'm interested in. So thank God, because with my personality, I probably yeah, would not be good. But I remember when people would say like, what would you do? And my first thing that always came out of my mouth was I'd probably give most of it away. A, because I would want to, and B, because I believe Biggie when he says, mo money, mo problems. And <laughs> I just, now I'm like, yes, I would still give most of it away. And it would look so different than what I imagined even like 10 years ago, having millions or billions of dollars would look like. Yeah, that's interesting. I... Uh, I would give a lot to political stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I would definitely like be living it up. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Are you kidding? (laughs) But when I think about that stuff, when we talk about like, that was always a struggle for me when, when there would be various exercises in these books about like, what, what is the extravagant life you want, you know, or what are the things that you, and I know you've always wanted a muscle car uh-huh. and, and I always was baffled because I'm like, I don't know what I would really, I guess travel. I, I, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've been up for travel. I used to not be at all. I'd be like, I'm good right here. Yeah. And which was kind of an anomaly. Not many people are that way. So I was like, I don't know what I would spend my money on. And then I would go, Oh, my house, 
all yeah. things house. I Interior feel like you design. Would, you would also buy really great food and really great beauty products. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, the really great beauty products. I probably have a fucking farm. And with goats, and, and I would that. also have it staffed so that I wouldn't have to do all do of the work because you like the idea of it. <laughs> I love the idea of a farm, and I want to just be able to run out there sometimes barefoot and like commune with the animals. But I want I want to not have to be up at four a.m. to do whatever I need to do every day. One of the most uh, emp- yeah, one of the most empowering things I think too for me is to take charge of my retirement because yep. that is something I didn't even fathom. Like, no, what? Why? <laughs> That's an adulting. That's a hard It's such adulting an adulting thing. thing. And I think when I turned 40 and just started to, to feel a little bit older, you know, when we, we bought this house and, and, and really, again, taking a look at all of our debt and it might've even been you who posed the question. I think it was you, you had had a conversation mm-hmm. with Mr. Smith about what you want your retirement to look like. What do you want to be doing when you're retired? And I, for my first thought was, holy shit, this is a question I think that married people should know about each other. (laughs) It's it's as important as do you want kids or not? Yes. How do you want your retirement to look? And you told me what, what you guys wanted. And so Jay and I sat down and talked about it and we're luckily totally on the same page with what we want to do. Okay. So if we want that, how are we going to fund that? And exactly. we need to start, you know, we're 20 years out from retirement. How we need to start thinking about that now. Cause the last thing I want to do, I'm not someone who crams for tests. Like I am like prepared and he's even more prepared than I am. And so it's yep. also been interesting going through this with my, with him. That's another story. For, maybe I'll have him on to talk about it. I can't tell his story. So just, I also like, I would not return calls from our financial advisor for a long time. I'm like, I'm just going to let Jason deal with it. I'm just going to let Jason deal with it. Because I had a similar story to you. Like, I'm not good at making these decisions. I don't understand them. I don't know what it means to invest. I don't understand the stock market because I ditched class too many times in economics and civics to understand even how that works. And just some shame around it. Like, And so just taking back the power and learning little by little about what it looks like and just asking questions. And, oh God, it's been hugely helpful. So one of the things is is our financial advisor has like this chart where he can map out like, okay, if you guys want this much money every year when you're retired, mm-hmm. here's what you need to be putting in. And it's like, and and at one point, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something, we were like 97% on track. And I was like, that is unacceptable. <laughs> What do we need? And I just straight up, I ask more questions now when we meet with him than even Jason does. I'm like, what do we need to do? Like, just tell him. And like having someone you trust is imperative. I'm like, what do we need to do to make sure that we're hundred percent and you need to think about inflation and, and for people listening, like you don't have to make, when we first started with him, we didn't make that much money. We honest to goodness did not. And we had so much debt. And so it was like asking questions of him, like, what do you think? Should we work on paying off our debt or should we work on putting more money in our retirement? And it's literally their job to help you figure out how to take care of yourself financially. And one of the things that shifted for me too was like, I need to look at this 
like I go to the OBGYN every year for yep. a, a pap smear and I go to the dentist every six months to make sure my teeth don't fall out of my head. And all of these things that we do to take care of our physical bodies, I'm sure a lot of people listening meditate or work out. And yeah. I, that was a huge shift for me, looking at money as a means to take care of myself because I sure right. shit don't want my kids to have to do it. Oh God. Yeah. That's not, that's not a retirement plan, everybody. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I do want to say something about that too. Cause we, we have the same situation. I call them the three bobs there because <laughs> they all have like very old man, white names like Dan and John. And so I'm just like three bobs. That's what you're going to be. <laughs> a reference so to the movie team. office space, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. With the two bobs. Yeah. So there's three of them and they all have white hair and they sit in a row and I'm like, all right, boys, what are we going to do today? (laughs) Cause there is such the boys club. It's funny. They, they really helped us tremendously. And so they have the, the, we have the same sort of thing of here's what you need to do to save for retirement. If this is where you want to be, blah, 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 blah. And what I want to say about that is if I would have heard this conversation where I was, when I was in 2014, I would have been like, retirement, what the fuck? No, I just need to pay my bills. I just need to figure out, you know, there's a, there's a hierarchy of what you have to attend to first before you can even think about retirement. So I want everybody out there to, no matter where you're at, start where you are and look at what can I do to make some shifts now? Because if you would have told me in 2014 that I would be here where I'm at now, and I'm sure you'd be the same too, too, Andrea, we'd be like, what really that's possible. But it wasn't overnight. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. super quick. It was tackling each of these hurdles, tackling debt, tackling money story, getting a huge tax bill one year for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that dealing with Mr. Smith's accident, dealing with uh, a cross country move and, you know, all sorts of stuff for both of us. And so I just want to encourage everybody start where you are and look at what is my biggest hurdle right now. And is it income? Is it debt? Is it how I speak to money? Is it retirement? Is it investment? Is it my partner? Is it how I, my friendships and being able to shine brightly, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing, where, where's your sticking point and decide on an action step there, before, you know? Yeah. I, I think this one of the, th- cause I have, I have a pretty wide range of of listeners and I have a decent amount of younger millennials. Yep. And, and I think you're right. You know, if you're in your thirties, you might be like, I, I can't even with this conversation. However, here's, here's my advice. I know that this is unqualified people, but here, here's my advice is that I, I think the mistake that is made in, cause I know there's a lot of teachers out there who talk about like manifest money. And I think that's great. However, I think that they jump over and move too quickly through the part of the lesson that is around your emotional shit around money. Yeah. And that needs to spend some time with. And we're still uncovering stuff. And I think what's what's interesting about it is just to get really curious. Like when you have any reaction towards money, just get curious about it and and why it might be that way and that for me has been hugely helpful and just, you know, your judgment of other people and how they spend money, how they don't spend money, your relationship yeah. to debt, like you have talked about, your relationship to saving. 
relationship to spending on luxury items and and things like that. There's so much different advice out there. And I think that the thing that has been so incredibly helpful for me way before we talk about like manifesting your dreams <laughs> or money is emotions around money. Right. Right. No, I, I completely agree. But I, I would also say that that's, that's sort of the theme in life period. You know, yeah. we just want to, let me just find the perfect spouse before you realize all of your own internal shit of how to actually be in an intimate partnership. Right. You don't get me started on emotions, but yeah, I mean, especially with regards to our, our finances, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, but you're right. There's plenty of strategies out there. There's plenty of tactics and budgeting tools. And, and so many like podcasts yeah. and books out there, like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and like all of those people who give money advice. Like if you're not addressing the emotional stuff, it doesn't matter. That's right. And you know what? I, uh, I did a two part podcast series on that. And a lot of it specifically on money. And a lot of it was about that, about, you know, this, the small changes that I've made, just viewing it as though I'm in a relationship. Um, you know, we've heard that with, with other things too, you know, like a relationship with your body, Mm -hmm. if that was actually a friend as opposed to, you know, a nemesis, the same is true for how you view your finances. For sure. And I, you know, this, I think could be like a two hour episode, but let's wrap it up for sake of time and overwhelm for people. (laughs) I feel like this could have had way more jokes in it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a serious topic. (laughs) I was sitting here and I'm like, what's missing from this episode? So much laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Tampon stories. Probably poop. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll have those another day. But I I yeah. thank you for for being my 60% qualified person here. I feel like I'm equally I'm I'm I give myself a strong 55% qualified. Really? I I think you and I are closer to 70. But okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm undermining us. I'm not giving us enough credit. No, that's true. As compared to how I used to be, for sure. Definitely a, a solid 70, a solid C minus. So, yeah. thank you so much for for being here. Of course. I had a blast. My my first, I've had several of these episodes and I'm glad I finally got to have you on. So we'll have to have you on for another one. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I know how valuable your time is, just as valuable as your money. And right. I appreciate, and I'm so grateful that you're here. So until next time, everybody, I'll see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, Ask Kickers, one more quick thing that I forgot to mention in the intro, and that is if you loved the coaching episode that I did last week with Colleen, and I know that you may have heard a couple of the other ones in previous months, we are opening up applications over on Patreon for four more people to come onto the podcast to be coached. So September 3rd, we're opening up applications over there. Head on over to patreon.com slash Y-K-A-L. You can see what it's all about over there. Hopefully decide to join us and support the podcast as well as apply to be coached here on the air. All right. See you over there. Bye-bye. Me, 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 me. Do you need more time for that? Every good boy does fine. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, I'm good. Okay, good. <clears throat> I'll count backwards from three. Three, two, one.